friends and welcome to episode 12 of Black Band T-Shirts. And I don't need a rank pun this week because uh, we are here with a running meme. Um, the <laughs> lead singer of the aunt, Mr Adam Vallely. How are we today, Adam? I'm good, thank you, mate. And yeah, thank you for recognising my membership in the greatest band uh, ever, arguably, <laughs> at the moment. Um, it's good to have an album out this year. It's... Uh, It'll be good to go out on tour, maybe. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows what's happening anymore in I the mean, world? But yeah. Well, at least you get to play Primavera Festival by the sea. Uh, oh, my name, yeah. <laughs> my name, as ever, is Ollie Connors, and I'm here with my psychic best friend and co-host, Chris Morant. How are we today, Chris? Still good. so yes as you've heard in our Kanye episode if you listen to it we had some technical difficulties and they remain as we still try and figure out this whole recording in real life thing but um, uh, we are today going to talk about Adam's favourite band in the world Queens of the Stone Age how are you feeling about it Adam? I'm very very excited and it's not the first time I've been on someone's podcast to talk about Queens of Stone Age at length. I was <laughs> yeah not that long ago on Right Act to talk around uh, two of the albums so um, yeah it's really exciting. I, I love Queens of Stone Age. They're a very important band to me personally. Um, yeah because you, you um, I think you've told yeah. a story on your podcast. I should um, say by the way listeners that uh, Adam does his own podcast uh, Audience Please which is excellent. Please check it out. Um, you. And you've said on there you, you met your partner uh, through a Queen's of the Stone Age message board. Yeah yeah so back in the day when uh, well the internet is still weird I suppose. Because, <laughs> but, um, but back in the day of like proper internet forums um yeah, there used to be the Records Records Forum, which is named after a label that uh, the guys from Queens of Stone Age had, especially for like Desert Sessions, early Desert Sessions releases. Mm. And yeah, met a lot of lifelong friends and then eventually met my lovely partner Laura through there mm. as well. So yeah, that's why one of, the, one of the many reasons Queens of Stone Age, not only musically, but personally are very important to me. I've had um, some great times following them around on tour. I used, went out to Berlin a few times, followed them around Wonderful. on. Uh, yeah, uh, followed them around on the Era Volgaris tour quite a bit. And cool. Yeah, so yeah, very, very important band. You went out to the desert in California um, because of that's where they're from. Cool. Um, and I wouldn't have gone out there if it wasn't for them. So yeah. they're very, very impactful in my life. Nice. So, yeah. Amazing. I mean, impact, uh, for, for us of a certain genera- generation, we're all 33, um, getting into music around the sort of the same time, the immensely impactful bands. I mean, we'll get into it more later, but Songs for the Deaf especially was monumental in shaping my music taste. Yep. No One Knows especially was absolutely everywhere. And yeah, a huge, huge record for, uh, for, uh, for, for, for our generation of rock fans. And yeah, Queens of the Stone Age have been ever present in my life as a music fan, and uh, I don't think as important a band to me as they are to you. I mean, not to the extent that I have them tattooed on my skin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. But, um, I forgot about that little piece that I've got the songs for the death cue on my on my um, leg. So yeah, yeah. But um, no, certainly immensely important um, shaping. Uh, my music taste. Chris, what about you? Yeah, no, exactly the same. I know we, we've spoken about this kind of recently with, with this coming up as well, about that album in particular, how sort of I mentioned to you, I realised, yeah, if I was going to choose four or five albums that represent kind of my teenage years, essentially, it'd, it'd be one of them. Yeah. Mm. 
Yeah, yeah, de- yeah, definitely. I, I feel like Queens of the Stone Age as well. They're an ever, which we'll talk about. They're an ever-changing, ever-evolving band, mm. and I think that's one of the most interesting parts about them and why they've stayed quite relevant. I mean, I'm not as a fan of the later stuff as a lot of people are, but I think that's why they're so interesting and uh, yeah. why they're so inspirational to a lot of people. Definitely. Um, I don't think we necessarily need to go into the, our usual podcast preamble about um, influences because they'll come up as and when. Um, I'll do uh, I'll do the um, uh, setting up of later on in the podcast. So um, we're going to do our top five niche of the better on. Um, <laughs> so as I mentioned before, Adam presents the audience please podcast. And to make him squirm, uh, <laughs> I decided to um, do our top five songs by guests on the um, Audience Please podcast. So that should be a lot of fun, getting Adam to choose between his mates and been <laughs> really fun for us to um, go back and discover and listen again to some of the um, bands you've had on. Mm. And we'll have our usual musical shout out at the end as well. Uh, so yeah... Anything else anybody wanted to say before we get we get into the ranking? No, go for it. I'm cool. Buzzing to, buzzing to talk about this. Okay, so it's guest honour of going first, and then it's Chris and then me because I went first last time. So Adam, what is your number seven Queens of the Stone Age album? Uh, it's pretty obvious for anyone that knows me. It's villains. Yeah, we thought uh, as much. Yeah. <laughs> there is Twitter evidence that meant I knew that was coming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, so my number seven uh, so Chris sorry you, you were first uh, my number seven has ended up being Lullabies to Paralyze Ooh, like during the prep for this there was a time where I was realising I thought I've massively misjudged that album it was going to be quite a bit higher up um, and it's not to say that it's necessarily a bad album but yeah it's, it is my seventh I think my number seven is genuinely a bad album and it's Era Vulgaris oh god yeah this is going to be fun. <laughs> uh, your number six, Adam, uh, is like clockwork. Wow. Okay. Yep. Yep. Fair. I thought yeah, you might right. react like okay. that. Uh, my number six is Queens of the Stone Age. <gasps> oh man. Yeah. My, my number six is Lullabies to Paralyze. I would I would keep gasping at these, but I'm yeah. I, I'm just now not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> I do feel at this point as well. I do feel like I was thinking about this a lot whilst doing this. I think they're one of those bands, like you said, Adam, because they do change so much, and a lot of the time it seems like quite subtle changes at the time, I suppose. But mm-hmm. I do I wouldn't be surprised by anyone's ranking of yeah. these albums. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, you're number five, mate. Um, so just before we started, there was I was talking about an album that I think I regret my ranking, and I did get slated for this on Right Act podcast when I talked about it. Is self-titled is my number five, which uh, I think should be higher, but it's there. I'm just keeping it there. I'm just going to come in and say that my number five is also self-titled. Yeah. So I I didn't realise until like again preparing for this how well thought of that album is. Mm. Yeah. Uh, it's always yeah. been down there for me. Yeah. Right. Your number five, Chris. My number five is like clockwork. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. I'm oh. surprised by that. I thought that's going to be your number one. I know you did. Yeah. <laughs> your number four, Adam. Uh, it's lullabies to paralyze. Cool. Uh, my num. 
sorry, it's a very rude motorbike going past the window. <laughs> uh, my number four is villains. My number four is also villains. <laughs> okay. Uh, my next one is Era Volgaris. Okay. Cool. So what are we on? Number three, yeah. aren't we? Uh, rated R. Okay. My number three is like clockwork. Cool. Um, my number two, uh, rightfully so, is rated R. <laughs> <laughs> my number two is songs for the deaf. <gasps> Whoa! Oh my god! Yeah, it's happened. Now I know what. Oh my it's god! It's happened. Okay. I never. I do. I will say I never predicted this. When Ollie and I first chatted about doing Queens of the Stone Age, I said, "I mean, is there any point? We all know songs for the deaf is going to be everyone's number one." Yeah, yeah. It's not my number Obviously. one. Obviously, no. It's and yeah, and well, so I should say before this, this was my hardest um, one and two yet of any podcast we've done. Um, choosing between these albums that I adore so much was nigh on impossible but my number two in the end is Songs for the Deaf <gasps> oh, dagger to my heart uh, um, yeah Songs for the Deaf is my number one because it is the greatest album of all time so <laughs> uh, yeah my my number one is Era Vulgaris fuck you world <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, fair play because I put that at number three. And again, I remember I'm going to refer to Right Act again. I remember we went through the rankings then, and when I said Era Volgaris was number three, I think Renfrey wanted to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm with you, Chris. I'm with you. I, I respect your choice. Yeah, it's crept up. It's crept up. Okay, interesting. So, uh, yeah, uh, my number one is obviously rated R. So yeah, big, big juicy calls there <laughs> um but um we go we um when we have a guest on we take the albums in chronological order so we go sure. first to the self-titled debut which came out in the year 1998 was it adam you, yeah okay yeah. good uh, obviously in the wake of the breakup of caius uh this was josh homie's first first time he'd ever sung which is yeah. pretty phenomenal um, it's not a particularly confident promise uh, um, performance from him, but um, yeah, for the uh, first time he's sung on anything, it's it's pretty decent, which mm-hmm. I didn't realise at the time. But yeah, like so, this is as we just said before, very well regarded in the fan base. I think people, yeah, I w- I first became aware of that when they toured the self-titled album and everyone went a bit mad over it. Yeah. Um, but um, you know, it's it's a decent debut, but. I'm not especially fond of it. I think it might be similar to um, what I thought of Clarity when we did our Jimmy, Jimmy World episode is that I don't have the emotional connection to it uh, because I wasn't there at the time. Yeah, yeah, I would, I'd, I 100% agree with everything you said because, I mean, I got into Queens of Stone Age literally just before Songs for Death came out and mm-hmm. going back to what we were talking about before, personally... I've got more attachment, and probably why Era Volgaris is so high up. Um, I've got more attached, personal attachment to other albums, and like you say, if you're not there in that time, seeing them around that time, um, probably don't have that connection. But going back to those uh, when they did the reissue and the, those shows, I went to the Roundhouse show, mm. and it was a. I mean, they used to play like regular John and mm. uh, one or two other songs they used to drop in to sets, but their first time seeing that all the way through and they oh, 
it was amazing. It was just stunning to see that album live. But yeah, um, and yeah, also just mentioning Josh Homme's vocal abilities, again, 100% agree, like he'd kind of, he'd almost given up on music and then he joined Screaming Trees for a bit. Mm -hmm. And um, that was when he was sort of fell in love with music again. Um, And actually he was going to get Mark Lanigan and a few other people to be the vocalist of Queens of the Stone Age, but then he decided to step to the fore. Um, yeah. But yeah, he's he hasn't found his feet with his vocals on this. You can you can hear that they're they're good, but there's more to come from him. I think. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So um, yeah, I, I, I think the lack of emotion ref- resonance is one of my worst parts. Um, along with that, it feels a lot longer than its hour runtime. I think, and I think the th- two or three um, jam instrumentals don't help that. Yeah. So I was going to ask: Are you um, are you including the the reissue track? So you've got um, like spiders and vinegaroons, the bronze, and these joys you're not looking for. So they weren't originally on, and they're like two of those like long jam instrumentals. So I was like. I'm not going to include them, but I thought it was worth mentioning because mm. it was weird when they tagged them on. So this mm. this has been a controversial subject a couple of times in, in the podcast. Um, so we had Flux with Block Party, which is an officially oh, yeah. on Intimacy, and um, Decode by Paramore, which is an officially on Brand New Eyes. They're both bonus tracks. But um, yeah, so I mean, I've got notes about the, both the Bronze and Spiders and uh, Vinegaroons. Um, I thought... I thought, um, is the bronze named after the club in Buffy the Vampire Slayer? <laughs> I, I, I'm not entirely sure, but I, I hope it is. <laughs> and um, I think um, Spinus and Vinegroons is their most interesting instrumental on this record. Yeah. I really yeah, like the promise of the intro of it. I thought that like it, it starts off really, really strong. And then sort of I'd end up waiting for something else to happen which it never quite does really Mm, mm. yeah yeah they used it for um when they did their live dvd um again that was weirdly the first time i saw queens of stonage in brixton and in the menu um in the dvd they used spiders and vinegaroons Mm. um i think it was born out of like an old caius truck as well so it's got that old caius vibe um Yeah. yeah and i think yeah and i think going back to why probably this album is lower down for me is it's kind of just generally it's like it's more Caius than it is Queens of the Stone Age if you know what I mean yeah like, I get that mm. and there's nothing wrong with that I love Caius but um, yeah yeah when you when you if, yeah when you love Queens of the Stone Age that's going to be for a, a number of things isn't it which Caius the Caius side of it only provides a part of that really mm. Yeah, 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 de- yeah, definitely. Like, um, even like some of my favourite songs on there, like Regular John um, and Avon and Hispanic Impressions, like they're all amazing songs. They've all got amazing riffs, but it's just kind of, I don't know, they're they're still like stoner rock songs the way they're written yeah. and built. They just go over and over and over and mm-hmm. over and over, and nothing really changes. <laughs> introducing that um robot rock thing that queens ended up becoming known for but um i just wanted to point out there i've actually got um hispanic impressions down as my worst um uh, just uh, purely for breaking up um mexico and you can't quit me baby which are my respectively my top and third favorite track Uh, okay mexico is brilliant yeah yeah 
Yeah, Mexicola. I didn't put it as one of my favourite tracks, but I did name my uh, college band after Mexicola. So <laughs> obviously it had an impression on me in some in some cases. I think it might still to this day be one of the heaviest ever Queens of the Stone Age songs, Mexicola, yeah. which I think is why it appealed to me so much. I think satisfying is the overall word I'd use yeah. for that one, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just quickly to mention, I've got... Um, um, as my second favourite song, Walking on the Sidewalks, because I think that's the first real example of the classic Queens of the Stone Age cocktail of riffs and experimentation. Yeah. yeah. yeah I got quite a helmety yeah, vibe from that one. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, interesting. definitely. Um, yeah, I think um, one that I find interesting, and I mean, it's not a really important song in the Queens of the Stone Age realm, but I, so I'm just looking at my notes and I, again, why it's so low down. I, I've gone weirdly no weak tracks, but um, if I had to choose one, it's I Was a Teenage Hand Model, which is it sounds like a bit of a nothing track on the end, on the end of the album. Mm. But if you look at it compared to the other songs, it's actually one of the more interesting songs, even though it's quite kind of stripped back. It's not a stoner rock song. It's just them yeah. pissing about in the studio um, <laughs> and they've just tagged it on on the end. Yeah. And I'm like, Actually, it makes it, it makes the end of the album a bit more interesting, but it is my weakest song, I'd say. I, th- I think overall, this, uh, for me, is quite a bottom-heavy album. I think yeah. um, the opening, obviously, regular John and Avon have become um, iconic songs for them. Um, but, um, yeah, I think regular John, Avon and If Only, uh, it's, it's a fairly weak beginning. Um, especially yeah. as they'd start albums far stronger later on. Um, and I think it gets far more interesting in, in the second half. Um, j- just sorry, while, 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 I've, while I'm talking about If Only, doesn't the, uh, I think the riff, they ripped off themselves for threes and sevens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a similar, right. it's a similar intro. Yeah, you're, you're right, actually. And the, the, I mean, I did want to talk about this later, specifically mm. with lyrics, but I don't know whether that is deliberate because mm. Josh Homme does a lot of callback stuff yeah. with his right. lyrics. Um, so there's, uh, I was going to talk about it later, there's loads of lyrics that he's recalled later on. That um, There's one from Walking on the Sidewalks, which I think is repeated in two other songs um, going <laughs> down the line. So I, I hadn't even thought of that, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's a, a deliberate nod to it. Because obviously, um, if only as well, they still play live quite a bit, yeah. even to this day. Yeah. Um, Chris, uh, let's talk more about some of your highlights and lowlights. Um, yes, I mean, I'll go straight in with my best, which I don't think anyone's mentioned yet, which is How to Handle a Rope. Okay. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, I, really, I just really like that one. I think, like, still got kind of a groove that isn't a lot of their, especially their earlier stuff, but he obviously still goes all the way through there, but quite crunchy honestly yeah, yeah. crunchy and again i suppose got that kaius kind of like uh like bone rattling kind of influence you know that kind of the old like rock and rolly kind of rockabilly style influence going on throughout just mm. that rumbling thing that they managed to do really well yeah uh i feel like i get that from that one um yeah that's one of those ones that i didn't i think like you say the length generally is my biggest issue with it mm. as an album where not even necessarily as a harm but where some of the songs feel like they go on longer than they need to without much changing. Mm, and that yeah. was one where I definitely just didn't sense that at all. I just enjoyed it mm. from start to finish. 
uh, I think all the others I think pretty much you've you've brought up to be honest mm. yeah it's all the same ones I, I mean I'm, I'm actually quite I thought regular John obviously his, his vocal I don't think quite hits the mark mm. but the yeah. but the top three four for me are all pretty strong I quite like them um, yeah it's 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 really it is really low down for me but I think ultimately like you were saying Adam how you don't think there's really like any bad songs on there I'd agree mm. I think it also for me though it's just that the high points aren't as high as they are on what mm. comes later essentially it's a bit more of a yeah. flat one um, I think that's that's the main reason I've got it that low down to be honest there's nothing yeah, that properly sticks with me yeah 100% and I think it just goes back to that thing I think Josh Homme wanted to do his own project um and he just kind of hadn't found his feet with this. Yeah. I think he was... Um, and also, you've got to remember, like, um, it was him, only him and Alfredo Hernandez, again, uh, ex-Kaya Strummer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think he could, he could make it as interesting as he wanted it to be, which yeah. we'll talk about literally with the next album, <laughs> where they go from yeah, that yeah. to going completely bonkers um, on pretty much all of the tracks. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a very it's a very one paced album. It's uh, a great listen. It's very well regarded, but yeah, uh, I totally agree. I don't think the highs are as as high on the other albums. Cool. Um, I think we're pretty much done on that one. Yeah, lovely. So we move on to my what I've decided now is my favourite Queens of the Stone Age album. <laughs> I like. Yeah, we'll get into it later, but I think. Like, had I done the Riot Act classic albums on Queens of the Stone Age, Rated R and Songs for the Deaf are genuine classic albums for me. Like, they would have been my choices because, um, yeah, they're they're both so monumentally brilliant. Um, But in the end, like, we'll get onto it uh, it next time, but um, there was more I could nitpick, nitpick with Songs for the Deaf than I could with this. I think this album is pretty flawless there's not a single weak track on it um and it starts off with an all-timer of an intro <laughs> with feel good hit the summer like obviously during this pandemic we've all bloody missed gigs that's not a particularly hot take but few songs have made me feel more like i wanted to be in a field with a beer in hands than listening to feel good hit the summer just yeah. screaming it out nicotine valium etc etc <laughs> yeah, I do hear it and immediately see them on stage at Reading Festival. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. that's a big memory I've got from their, yeah. their performances. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I think I think that uh, yeah that song and obviously no one knows um, on Songs for Death. Like you hear that and you just instantly know who it is. There's no there's no doubt um, who wrote the song, why they wrote it. They were, <laughs> fuck, they were fucking around with people. They were pushing the envelope with uh, what they could do and. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, one of the best opening tracks of all time. Yeah, and and also, um, obviously, we're getting more into their collaborations on this album. But um, Rob Halford's on it. <laughs> yeah, oh, nice. yeah, I didn't very, 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 yeah, very nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's. Uh, I didn't know that for years, and I think it was when I was doing my research for the the last time I was talking about this album. And I was like, fuck, I forgot Rob Halford's on Feel Good Hit the Summer. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's mad. <laughs> I love I love the fact um, I've, I've 
some kind of interview or something that I was reading uh, of uh, Josh Homme's, um like story behind it. Mm. Did you know this one? No. It's just wonderful. It's just, I mean, it's exactly what you'd expect, pretty much. But he was like keen to say that it wasn't like a definitive endorsement or condemnation of drug yeah. use. <laughs> uh, just that he had confirmed that he came up with the lyrics stumbling through the desert at night after a New Year's party trying to remember what exactly he had consumed that evening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, and... Yeah, and the original video for it, I don't know if you've seen the animated video. Um, oh, no. And it's, and it's it, yeah, it's classic, um, uh, like, Queens of Stone Age driving through. The, it's an animated guy driving through the desert, and it's just hit, like him basically on an acid trip, and he just keeps <laughs> having these flashes and weird, um, weird things happening in the sky around him. And it's, yeah, again, like, it's just Josh Homme all over. And I get, talking about him finding his feet, I think after doing... Uh, Song um, uh, self-titled. He was like, "What can what can I write about? I'm just going to write about drugs and getting fucked up in the desert." <laughs> <laughs> and there is like, it's it's a big theme of the whole album, right? Is kind of various kind of themes on intoxicants, essentially. And and well, and, and or it isn't. Um, is it better living through chemistry? Is like is about prescription drugs and yeah. kind of there's yeah, it's just kind of that running theme throughout it. Which I thought was interesting. I hadn't realised that obviously for a long time. Just while we're on that song, I don't know if you noted this, Chris, but this is a return of a former podcast uh, subject. Um, so better, better living through chemistry's lyric. There's no one here. There's people everywhere. Is actually taking from "Crying" off Bjork's debut. Bjork's debut. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cool. Josh Hom doing his old clever, clever trick of sliding in various. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I said, like other, other kickbacks to other influences and things like that. He's yeah, he's very, very clever, clever at that um, mm. with his writing, especially on the the lyrical side. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. Uh, I, I want to get my worst song out of the way first. Um. The, this is a major nitpick, but I think. Um. Leg of Lamb unnecessarily sidetracks the. I like it a lot. Ooh. Don't get me wrong. I like it a lot, but it unnecessarily sidetracks the early going of the album with a bit of weirdness. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, I've basically mean, said I feel like it's a bit of a bit of a return to the meandering of the first album. I mean, I I heavily disagree. Um, actually, I've got it as one of my better songs. I actually get like a real like Beatles hippie vibe from yeah, yeah, Leg of yeah. Lamb. Yeah. Um, which I love, and again, it goes. I, I, I find it's like Josh Hom playing around with certain sounds and yeah, yeah, certain yeah. influences. Um, so I'll disagree on it. <laughs> I, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, it's just every time. Like again, when I was listening to this the other day, and I was like, oh, what does that sound like? I was trying to obviously like pick the influences out, and I was like, it just sounds like the Beatles. Like it sounds like mm. again, it's a very psychedelic. Mm. Um, acid trippy yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of riff for me yeah I just um, yeah it was just a, a, a minor nitpick with, uh, for an otherwise flawless album um, I just didn't want to take the coward's way out um, but <laughs> um, yeah um, your your worst songs gents I mean I will go with the coward's way out I've got yeah. a lightning song okay. Uh, okay I mean it's over two minutes it counts Right. That was my thinking. <laughs> you know? um, yeah, it's fine. I don't, it's fine. Uh, yeah. But um, again, for an album that is quite long, um, just, I don't feel it adds a lot. Like, I don't mm. feel like it'd be that missed if it wasn't there, essentially. Mm. Mm. 
Yeah, yeah, I yeah, I kind of agree with that. It's it's an acoustic instrumental song. Yeah. Um, again, I think it was Josh playing around with can we do acoustic stuff? Um, but yeah, it doesn't really add a lot. Um, so yeah, I agree. Well, it wasn't actually also- him though, was it? It was a Masters of Reality guitarist whose name I can't remember. Yes, um, it is Dave Catching, right. um, yeah, who played that. Um, yeah, but yeah, kind of a, kind of agree. Mm, mm. For my worst part, which I also just want to get out of the way, um, is the um, the several minutes of trumpets on. Um, <laughs> I was, <laughs> I was, about, to say, yeah, I was yeah. about to say that. Yeah. D- d- despite being well into it as a trolling tactic. I think it's hilarious, yeah. but yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I've got the same as my low light, and I did. I forgot to actually mention my low light of uh, the first album was exactly the same thing as the bleepy outro at the end uh, of just, just please fuck off. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like I, lo- I love that the reason for it that he's given for on this one of being to punish people who've fallen asleep. <laughs> like, yeah, fair. Yeah, I, I, t- I, I remember when I finally bought this on CD, and I was still still young-ish, I was still at home with my parents, and I remember playing, quite a brave move, I played this in the car with my dad, Um, and obviously it must have been quite a long drive, I can't remember where we're going, it got to the end, and I think about 10, not even that long, it was about 10 seconds into the horn bit, he was like, can we turn this off please, this is awful. yeah, it's he's again. He's done his job. He and he's admitted to it. It's really fucking annoying. <laughs> yeah. It's such a it's such a shame because I I think I lost my headache. Is an incredible. It's a great song. song. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. proper good uh, stoner riff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh, do you have any more negatives, Adam? No. Again, it's flawless album for me yeah. as well. Uh, um, oh, I suppose uh, no. I did write one thing down. The only thing that I I think it's more growing up and uh, being more aware of the world and the problems that we have is the the another minor nitpick is the creepy Nick Oliveri vocals on uh, quick um, quick and to the pointless and tension heads where he mentions little girls right uh, little girls walking down the street yeah, yeah. and it's like oh that's a bit creepy isn't it yeah, yeah, um, yeah. that's a that's a really minor nitpick it's just yeah. the creepiness of it. I've actually got though no I, I I absolutely see what you're saying but um, I've actually got quick and to the point as Antec Tension Head as like a joint third favourite because I really like that they're fast paced uh, fast paced punk bangers that switch switch up the tempo quite significantly um, yeah, yeah uh, I agree um, yeah I I, I, th- I th- do you, I've got a, a sort of tongue in cheek uh, little nitpick of a bit of just a tut. Mm. at them for doing the uh, fading out and back in thing that oh, we've yeah. mentioned previously uh, yeah. but I think they they do it a few times I think there's a, there's a track later on isn't there they do it again or maybe a couple of times they're one of the few bands where I think actually put it off quite well mm. it works yeah. you can see they've done it and oh, thought so that, about why that, they're doing that's it at the end of In The Fade with the uh, Feel Good Hit The Summer reprise it's, um, it does it at Better Living Through Chemistry right uh, yeah, it's in got the like and the, then, the and they trademark do it in back someone's... and vocals going on and stuff Sorry, yeah, and, sorry. They do it in su- and they do it in someone's in, someone's in the wolf as well. On yes, that's lullabies. it. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. The only other um, best part I had down. I mean, I, I bloody love this album, but um, Nick Oliveri on autopilot. So my <laughs> my sort of <coughs> jokey hot take that I have um, that I say to wind people up 
is um, Josh Homme is only the uh, second best vocalist in Queens of the Stone Age <laughs> because I absolutely adore Mark Lanigan. Um, yeah. I think he's absolutely brilliant. And I, it, it came to me when that new Cold Luna album got, um, the details got leaked. Like three of the most exciting words in the English language to me are featuring Mark Lanigan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, but Nick Oliveri, uh, his clean singing is absolutely wonderful on autopilot. I think he sounds brilliant and I wish he'd do it more. Yeah. Yeah. I, t- I totally agree. That's a, yeah, it's an amazing song and he's really, I've seen him do, um, like Mondo generator, but also do like solo acoustic shows and for a pretty crazy punk guy, which mm. essentially is what he is. And, yeah. um, uh, and he, uh, like he, always cites like black sabbath is one of his biggest influences mm-hmm. um yeah that guy he can sing like yeah. um so so underrated but yeah going back also going back to the lanigan thing and um we kind of haven't really touched on it yet but the thing mm-hmm. i love about this album is you've got nick oliveri coming to the front lanigan coming to the front mm-hmm. josh coming to the front and then you've got like in the fade where it's lanigan and hom singing together yeah and this it's just chops and changes so much but actually it flows really well it almost feels like um a mixtape um, yeah like some someone's gone here's a couple of nicola very punk bangers and then here's mark lanigan singing in his wonderful gruff voice um yeah. which is why which is why we got him on the armed album by the way <laughs> um, and like um yeah and like these days we sort of disparage um like Bring Me's last couple of albums have felt very mixtapey, and that's mm. in a bad way because obviously they're copying sort of Spotify playlist culture. But this is sort of the best example of a a playlist being great because it makes it like highlights the talents, and it's a super group without actually being a super group. Mm. But it's better than any, well, most, yeah, any actually. <laughs> I'm going to go for it. Super group yeah, album yeah. ever. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And you've. Yeah, you look at the... Um, I've just got it in front of me, actually. You've got, like, the list of collaborators. Um, and you've got, like, Chris Goss. You've got uh, Dave Catching. Mm-hmm. You had Gene Troutman. Um, I can't remember who else is on here. There's just so many so many talent. Oh, here we go. Lanigan. Peter Stahl, as well, appears. Um, yeah, Chris Goss, Gene Troutman. Nick Lucero, who actually did most of the drums. Again, Mm-hmm. massively underrated drummer in the yeah. history of Queens of the Stone Age. Um, but yeah, there's so many people that have brought so many things to it. Um, and obviously they pinched a couple of songs from like the Desert Sessions um, for this album, which they do again later. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, for, for such a diverse group of people and chopping and changing, it just flows ridiculously well. Yeah, yeah. Chris, um, sorry, we haven't been to you much yet. No, 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 it's fine. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm enjoying listening to this, to be honest. Uh, I keep forgetting I'm actually here. <laughs> Just enjoying the conversation. Um, no, like uh, I mentioned it before, but um, like my highlight moment is the like bongos and fuzz intro <laughs> of uh, Better Living Through Chemistry. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. that's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, one of those moments that I think really illustrates what you've just been saying and what we said the the main difference between the first album and this one is, is the fact that you've got so many more ideas coming into it yeah. that, that means you've got those kind of interesting things that, but without feeling out of place, which is mm-hmm. yeah not easy. Um, uh, I'll go with my highlight track, uh, which is 
the song about uh, Josh's first experience on LSD kicking in just as his friend's father and sister came home, <laughs> leading to a bad trip, uh, being monsters in the parasol. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's always song. been, my, I st- it was the song that first like stuck with me when I first listened to the album. Mm-hmm. It's always just been one of those go-to ones for me. I just think it's yeah. really, really good. Yeah. Um, my... <laughs> So my best songs that I haven't mentioned already, I mentioned in my joint third was Quick and to the Pointless Intention Head. Um, second on this album is, um, yeah, like another live favourite. And so I've got a lot of fondness for um, Go With The Flow, but I think my second favourite Queen single ever is Lost Art of Keeping a Secret. Phenomenal yeah, it's song. It's Rock Song Writing 101. It's so good. Yeah. So catchy. Yeah. And that, and that riff is tremendous. Yeah, absolutely love Lost Art, Keeping a Secret. Um, but uh, my, be- my best song on here and my favourite Queens of the Stone Age song is one you mentioned earlier, it's In the Fade. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Um, like I said before, <coughs> I utterly adore Mark Lanigan's vocal. I think he sounds amazing on this song. And um, yeah, it's just such a lovely, lush, wistful wonderful song uh, absolutely loving the fades yeah yeah 100% agree with that yeah like in the fade like I was saying like Lanigan and with Hom like yeah. essentially on backing vocals yeah 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 oh, I, I was listening to it yesterday and I was like oh I love this song so much <laughs> it's actually a shame like because they have played it obviously with just just Hom singing mm. and it's just not the same no I can't imagine it is no I think that's that's one of those ones as well. I think you like <clears throat> if you think of Queens of the Stone Age and like the typical Queens of the Stone Age sound and what they're known for, you tend to, I suppose, think of those kind of off kilter riffs and kind of mm. fairly chunky, uh, like stonery kind of stuff. But then that I, I do think that, and obviously later albums they they explore it even more. But that more I can't think of a word like it sounds like a negative word, but I don't mean it negatively. But the kind of more sluggish like sleazy yeah. almost like that kind of side of them especially like the weather we've had recently the, like when it's like yeah. properly hot it just like it feels right you know it's, yeah they, they just they you know see i assume the desert has a big part to play in that but yeah. they just seem to really be able to ride that kind of feeling beautifully yeah yeah, yeah. 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 um what about you adam your best songs from this record uh i think we've covered them uh better living uh Leg of Lamb, which I disagree with you guys, and uh, In the Fade, they're my they're my top three easily. Cool. Um, Better awesome. Living, going back to that, like when they play that live again. Yeah. Like they, do they, do they, do they do... sort of? I don't think I've seen that one live. Do they sort of really oh. extend it into a jam? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. They, do, they awesome. always do like a massive jam in the middle and just go nuts. And awesome. I think it's one of the other than my favourite song ever which we'll talk about in a minute um on Brilliant. the next album it's probably my it probably is my second favorite queen song better living awesome cool i think we're done now on rated r lovely so we move on now to songs for the deaf adam adam Valerie's favorite album of all time so yes adam songs for the deaf yes ah, where do we start uh, well, again, let's start with it is the greatest album of all time. Um, yeah, I mean... Even better than Hyperpop by you. Uh, yeah, Ultrapop. Right, so, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, it is better than that, I'll, I'll admit. Um, yeah, so I forgot to I forgot to mention with uh, Rated R, actually, like those 
first moments that you listen to an album and weirdly I can't remember I must have bought it the week it came out Songs for Death but with Rated R I will always remember the time and place I listened to it yeah. um, some older kids played it on their Discman and <laughs> I was mind blown and then instantly into Queens but yeah that, so that I listened to that the summer before Songs for Death came out and I think Songs for Death came out in August if I remember rightly mm-hmm. and uh yeah, obviously also found out that Dave Grohl was drumming yeah. um, and being the kid and that era um, yeah. was into Foo Fighters like I think everyone was. So well, yeah. Uh, yeah, so yeah. it was just super exciting. Yeah, I, th- I, I, th- I think that was, yeah. Uh, I mean, I've got as my f- um, top of my best parts as Dave motherfucking Grohl. Like, yeah, <laughs> we're, we're, um, this, yeah this was 2002, so we were... We were 14, first getting into rock music, and to hear the guy that we'd already heard in Nirvana and Foo Fighters. So, um, I mean, like, this wasn't especially an especially strong era of Foo Fighters. This um, came out around the time of One by One, which is one of their worst albums, even with what the, the dross they've released recently. Which he actually delayed to do this as well, which I thought right. was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, yeah, they rewrote the whole album, they scrapped it, and then really? he was like, cool, I'm going to go drum for Queens of the Stone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this is just before sort of his comeback trail when it, when it did uh, Probot, which was brilliant. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, to hear the guy that we'd already heard smacking the skins in Nirvana, again, with a phenomenal, tremendous powerful drum performance was yeah a key factor in um this album being accessible another one being as we mentioned earlier no one knows was unavoidable um Mm. it's it's one of those songs that we talk about often on this podcast like you've heard it so many times and it's whether you still like it or you're sick of it now it's so hooky and catchy i could never get sick of no one knows Uh, you try yeah but um, <laughs> but you fail. Like it's it's just so much fun to listen to still to this day. The whole yeah, the whole I album, think... like as well though, is just so like bearing in mind it's nearly twenty years old. Next year it'll be twenty years old. Yeah, and it doesn't. It it's still just as exciting to yeah. listen to. I think like overall, it's it, it like. It, I mean, I, I did read that uh, Josh said with the band in general, his idea was he wanted to achieve a band where within three seconds of hearing any of their songs, you know it's them. Yep. And I mm. think, you know, A, he's done that with Queens of the Stone Age, uh, but also, like, this album particularly, there's still nothing you would... I, I can't think of anything else that I would put it in the same, you know, Venn diagram kind of... It wouldn't no, be I'm, in the same box as anything else. It still just stands out there on its own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. I Going back to sort of Queens of the Stone Age's history and their development so obviously we talked around like self-titled being a bit unsure of itself i suppose rated r was like let's just fuck around with as much as we can and bring as much in and just mess around and write an incredible album in the process but songs for the deaf for me is like you they finally feel like a real real band yeah, yeah, i mean yeah, they yeah, were yeah. a real band before but it they obviously had quite a solid lineup with this. Um, obviously, like Troy Van Leeuwen came on board, yep. and he was a massive influence. And in songs for like songs for death, 
uh, song for, song for the dead sorry which mm-hmm. is my favorite song um him with his call and response guitars with josh Hom is just incredible you've got nick who's again brought brought to the fore with like yeah. six shooter um and then you've got Lanigan again we can talk about Lanigan all day on song for the dead but like hanging tree yeah um it was a rewrite of a hanging tree which was on desert sessions but they brought Lanigan on board to sing it on on this and yeah but going back to what you're saying like with no uh, with no one knows and go with the flow which were the two main singles yeah they're just they're just like well no one knows it's like almost like a pop rock banger yeah it's just like got so many hooks to it and it's catchy but then they write uh, a song like song for the deaf which is again it's a bit like better living through chemistry it's a weird like winding song with like these weird riffs and different motions it's yeah this album's got everything for me absolutely absolutely everything um just to go back there um like (laughs) do you want to talk about um song for the deaf uh being your favorite queens of the stone age song because it's up there for me as well it's absolutely astonishing yeah yeah so yeah song for the dead like um that drum intro, which um, again, <laughs> going back to where Josh Homme and Dave Grohl, uh, in this case, have picked stuff from, uh, the drum intro uh, is an homage to Black Flag, and it's uh, mm. taken off a Black Black Flag Black Flag song, "Slip It In." So they've literally lifted part of it, and you listen to that Black Flag song, and you're like, "Yep, Dave Grohl directly lifted it." From that. <laughs> um, but yeah, but, but like, he's allowed to because he wasn't a DC hardcore band. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, that um, I think the thing with Song for the Dead, it does everything you want Queens of the Stone Age to do. It's got mm. Lanigan singing. It's got monumental riffs. Like I said, Troy um, is a star on this song with the call and, call and response guitars with Josh Homme. And then you've just got that you've got the false ending where you think I love watching live videos or being at a gig where you've got the the casual Queens of the Stone Age fans and when they do that false ending and they all go yeah and they just kick back in yeah like yes that's (laughs) one of the best false endings in rock music of all time um yeah I yeah I love this song so much I could play it every single day for the rest of my life and not get bored of it like I've got to jump in at this point as well because my my highlight is is Grohl generally but his performance on that song in particular I think like this album came out when I like a peak of my uh, very short lived drumming career where I was like (laughs) just at the end of having drumming lessons and just starting to play in bands Mm. And this album made Grohl my favourite drummer to look up yeah. to, you know? Like, it was just an agree. absolute, my God, he is the one to be. Like, I mean, if, if, if In Utre wasn't enough. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, then comes this. But, but I think this is more, it's more showy, you know, as, as, from a drumming perspective. Mm. You know, with Nirvana, he was incredibly solid and, and gave those songs the heft that they had. And powerful. But, but with this album, he really gets to actually kind of show off as a drummer. Yeah. Uh, like, bring out his inner bottom to, yeah. its, to oh, its, um, for this extent, absolutely. Um, yeah, okay. So, I mean, more best parts for me. Um, another all-timer of an intro um, in... Um, you may th- uh, you may think I'm not worth a dollar, but I'll make you feel like a millionaire. Is that it? You think yeah. I ain't worth yeah. a dollar, but I feel like a millionaire. Yeah, yeah. cool. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, just wa- just to go back um, to Song for the Dead, and, and uh, um, so I've got that in joint second on my favourite songs with a song for the deaf. 
Um, yeah. I always get them confused because they're so similar, but um, Death is the longer, slower one. Near the end. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah again... I um I think that's my that would just about edge it for me over Song for the Dead because I love the long slow stonery stuff. Yeah. And Mark Lanigan. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's my best song. Uh, okay. It was Song Song for the Dead for a little while and then Song for the Deaf yeah just kind of just takes it. Um some other uh, some others are my favorites. Um I adore Another Love Song, brilliant performance from Nicola Veri. Um Mosquito Song, wonderful. Oh, I was good. I was going to say about yeah. that. So yeah, Mosquito Song. Um, bear in mind how many times I've seen Queens of the Stone Age. Obviously, I was late to the game, but mm-hmm. seen them a lot over the years. And Mosquito Song, because it's an acoustic song, was the one I'd never seen live. And then Josh Homme, when he played um, acoustically at the South Bank Centre for Meltdown Festival, um, was that, that the um, Bell- Rob- was that the Robert Smith year with Deftones no. and Nine Inch Nails? Okay. No, it was, James, it was a few years before that. It was James Lavelle from Uncle. Oh, cool. And obviously they've got a relationship because yes. Josh Homme had been on uh, an Uncle album. Yeah. Um, and yeah, uh, Josh Homme just just played Mosquito Song and oh. I think I literally lost my... I think I squealed when he <laughs> played Mosquito Song. Um, yeah, uh, oh, I, love, I love Mosquito Song. Um, and again, uh, call back to an album that we're talking a, uh, a bit... Um, I think it's on Sick Sick Sick. Uh, he takes a lyric from Mosquito Song and actually Lullabies to Paralyze. Yeah, yeah is it's the outro line of the song yeah, yeah. and gave it their later album. It's title. Um, yeah, and um, I think, yeah, Mosquito Song might genuinely be um, one of, if not my favourite, Josh Holm vocal performance of all time. He just sounds lovely on it. Would you say as well, sorry, I was just going to say with that one as well, I mean, I love how kind of. Uh, bolder move as a song I suppose it yes. is compared to the rest of the like it's very different but, yeah. but it's incredible mm. but I do get a general like quite a like Hispanic mm. um, kind of Mexican at times as well like uh, you know like actual kind of uh, what's the bloody word mariachi yeah thank you like <laughs> elements of that kind of music actually creeps in at points on this album in particular yeah. it? like, it's obviously a part of their overall imagery at times and things as well but I feel like musically there are bits where it really does creep in with backing vocals and things and stuff mm-hmm. on this album, which, yeah, I just really like that that culminates with Mosquito Song at the end. Yeah. Um, so um, third favourite on this record is, ah, oh, fucking love this song again, God Is In The Radio. Amazing yeah. song. Absolute stormer. Yeah. That, Lanig- that, that, Lanig- Lanigan again, of yeah, course. Yeah, Lanigan again, of course. <laughs> it's my, my favourite vocalist in Queens of the Stone Age. But um, yeah, number one, and I already said this is my favourite, um, que- probably my favourite Queen, Queen single. I've just got such a soft spot for uh, for Go With The Flow. Dave Grohl's drumming on it especially. It's simple but amazing. And um, I'll tell a little personal story here. So there used to be a game on the PS2 called Sing Star, <laughs> Sing Star Rocks. Oh and God. obviously, um, Chris and I have quite low register voices. So um, uh, when we're singing, especially, and um, obviously on SingStar, you only have to sort of match vaguely the, the frequency range of the song. So Chris and I, with our low voices, neither of us are brilliant singers, but uh, we had epic, epic battles <laughs> on Go With The Flow where we both get almost perfect scores and one of us would just pip the other to the post. <laughs> brilliant. But um, but yeah, Go With The Flow. Um, 
just yeah it's it's not as interesting perhaps as some of the others i mentioned but i just i just adore it yeah yeah definitely definitely agree with that i, I um, want something good to die for to make it beautiful to live is an is an all-time of eric as well yeah, yeah I, I, I totally forgot to even write that down is one of my notes. I forgot that that is my favourite lyric, I think. Uh, mm. I think for years, I don't think I will get it done. I did want that tattooed on me for mm-hmm. many years, but I've, I've put it off because I don't, I don't think lyric tattoos are very good. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely amazing. Great video as well. Yeah. That yeah. video is amazing. Yeah. Um, do you want to go into more of your best songs, Adam? Uh, yeah, so Song for the Dead, Song for the Deaf, which mm-hmm. we talked about. One we haven't talked about, which is massively underrated, is First It Giveth. Yes. Um, okay. So for me, so for me um, I mean, I think this album's incredible, but I think um, no one knows First It Giveth, Song for the Dead, is possibly the best three song sequence on any album. It's pretty relentless mm. um and I, know, I remember at least initially when when i was younger and i was listening to this i was just like those three songs in a row are just insane mm. they um i remember like um when joe castillo started playing with queens um he said he couldn't actually drum that song so going back to dave grohl's drumming um he actually found it really challenging so <laughs> they didn't play it live for many many years mm. i think i I've, I've only ever seen it once live which is really interesting, but yeah, massively underrated. Song, yeah, I, the, the, I noticed that 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 was always for years. That was my favourite track on the album. I think actually, I really mm. loved it. But the you listen to the chorus and the vocal and the guitars and stuff are all pretty simple. But underneath <laughs> that, the drums are just it's like an octopus. It's just <laughs> constant. Yeah, I, th- I think I think when Dave Grohl recorded it, I think there's videos of it. You can see him; he's like crossing hands. Yeah. Um, and something I did want to mention, which I've, again I've forgotten to mention, is the craziness that is Queens of Stone Age. Is this going to be so the I drum think- recording? Because yes, yes, yes. I, I only um, found this out this week, and it is ridiculous. So I, I don't know if it was done on Rated R. I, th- I have a feeling it was. It definitely wasn't done on self-titled, but. Josh Homme brought in, and I don't know where he got the idea from. I think I did find out once, but I've forgotten it. So regardless of who the producer was or who the recording engineer was, he made, it's certainly with Grohl and later on, like Joey did it, and John Theodore actually talks about it in interviews later on, so he does still do it. Wow. He'd make the drummers um, record the cymbals and the drums separately. And um, <laughs> I was reading again about this. Joe Baresi... Um, was the producer for this album, I think. What do you want to know? What, yeah. what? <laughs> so, so, sorry, yeah. uh, we're, we're laughing because uh, he's come up before here as a co-producer with Atticus Ross on Year of the Black Rainbow by Coheed and Cambria, oh. which, yeah, yeah. which is an album us and our guest had a lot to say about on the, on the Coheed episode. Yeah. Sorry. Um, but, but supposedly, uh, I think it was Joe Baresi, um, was uh, found it very frustrating, um, <laughs> to say the least. And supposedly Dave Grohl did as well. Um, so yeah, basically would do the drums and then have like cymbal pads and then do the reverse. He'd have drum pads and cymbals. Um, yeah. Suppose it was very challenging to do. And John actually John Theodore talked about it in an interview when he recorded. He did a couple of tracks on Like Clockwork because um, he joined obviously later mm. on, um, and he was like, yeah, it was really hard really really hard <laughs> i just i i just enjoy the fact that we've already talked about how great Grohl's drumming on this is anyway and then you add 
that into the yeah. into the equation. You're like, what? It's insane. It's I, insane. I do I do enjoy as well. There's a there's a quote from the engineer who was helping with that uh, for this album. Uh, what's his name? Eric, Eric Valentine. I've got here as the engineer. Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry. It wasn't Joe Baresi. I take everything back. He got, no, no, no. He. I think he was like involved, but this is the guy who was specifically helping with it. But I just loved that his. Uh, yeah. He credited Grohl for his patience, and described the process as very difficult. <laughs> like, <laughs> that seems like a bit of an, an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, supposedly they didn't get on very well. Uh, that's why I just had to look him up again because supposedly they didn't get on very well with oh, really? Eric Valentine during this process. Um, and Josh Hom was talking about just generally, not just forget about the drum thing, but he was like, it was actually quite challenging to do this because I think um, obviously it's Josh talks about it being a concept album because obviously they've got all the radio bits. So mm-hmm. he had a very specific way he wanted things done. And supposedly Eric Valentine wasn't on board basically because uh, right. so, the yeah. concept is like a, it's meant to be like a drive through the desert essentially yeah. isn't it with different specific locations going through and things which yeah, I, thought, I yeah, think that's definitely. really cool as well yeah um, what about our, our, our worst parts and worst songs chaps um, so I mean like I said before I absolutely adore this album but um, for my worst part all I have to and it, it's just a nitpick because I had to choose somehow between this and Rated R uh, it's just the slight elements of filler is all I have to call um, Rated R over it. And I've got, for my worst song, my, yeah, as I say, nitpicky example of that as um, Do It Again. Yeah, I I was going to say that as well. Yeah. It, it, um, also, not a big fan of, uh, I know it's a bonus track, so it's um, not really part of the album, but one of the greatest albums of all time, ending on a Dodgy Kings cover. <laughs> with um, everybody going to be happy yeah nah not for me <laughs> I'm a massive Kinks yeah. fan so I got a kick out of it but uh, it it, does, it doesn't do anything particularly special no. with it I, no. um, I will I say based on what you were saying with uh, Do It Again I, I'm exactly the same but with Ira Valgaris the reason that that ended up just pipping this one mm. is that I do feel like this would be my number one and would basically be a completely perfect album if you got rid of Do It Again and I would actually get rid of Gonna Leave You as well. Yeah. And I would actually get rid of my worst song, Another Love Song. Okay. Um, those three, I feel like they're all kind of in a similar section of the album and it starts to get a bit, just get a bit bloaty at that yeah. point. You're right. Um, to have some, to have three fairly, compared to the rest of what's going on in the album, fairly middle of the road kind of yeah. basic songs. They're not bad songs, but when you've got so much else going on yeah. before it, I think um, yeah, I think if you listen to those songs in isolation, if they came up on shuffle, you'd happily enjoy them. But yeah. just um, yeah, forming the second part of the record, you're just like, okay, hurry this along now, lads. Yeah, yeah, I I, I kind of agree with that. Um, yeah, I I would say yeah, do it again, and gonna leave you and another love song. Yeah, probably their weakest songs. Uh, I still love them, but um, yeah, that's it. They're not bad in any way. It's just just yeah, not uh, up there with the rest of it. One one that I do want to quickly shout out that I, did, I forgot to when we were talking about um, favorite songs as well that we haven't mentioned is "Skies Falling." Oh yes, um, oh, yeah. Great again, song. just completely, really, really off kilter, kind of odd song, but somehow completely satisfying at the mm-hmm. same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hundred percent agree with that. 
I think we've talked about every song. <laughs> yeah, I could talk. I could. Continue, I could keep talking about that. But. I mean, yeah, <laughs> the, 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 this this and rated R for me, like like we say a lot of, a lot on this podcast. This could have been an episode within itself, just talking yeah. about songs for the deaf. But um, unless either of you have anything just, more, just one last one last little. Sh- I really need to emphasise how great an opener. You think I ain't worth a dollar is? Oh yeah! Like I was listening through uh, to the album whilst walking home from work towards Bethnal Green Tube Station the other day, and there's the bit in that uh, in that track where it kicks back in with the <clears throat> yeah, yeah, and I did yeah. that out loud, much to the confusion of someone walking on the other side. Of the road, <laughs> but it's, it's one of those tracks I can't, I st- I cannot help but really get taken. I mean, away I, I, with I, it. I, th- I thought you were going to say you embarrass yourself in public by starting to shake your bum to it because <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's so irresistible. No, you know, no like, shame in that at all. Like starting to dance around the kitchen, like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, just phenomenal opener, yeah. Cool. Anything else, Adam? Uh, just one more nerdy thing, because mm-hmm. I feel like I just have to say everything nerdy that I know about this album. <laughs> so, talking about the the first track, there is actually a track zero. Yes. So, um, you can read. Well, not everyone can, but if you had the CD, and yeah. I think the CD that I've got, I, I could do it. You could on certain CD players, you could rewind track one and it'd be track zero. And basically it's Nick Oliveri rubbing a balloon against a microphone and going, huh, what? And it's just basically <laughs> an outtake. It's, again, Queens of Stone Age fucking with people. Um, they, yeah, it was just something they recorded and just tagged on and just did an extra yeah, track at the beginning. Yeah. Sorry about that, another mo- uh, motorbike. Um, so yes, <laughs> now we move on to... Can we remind our um, can we remind ourselves where we had where we had Lullabies to Paralyze? I had it at um, number six. I've got a number seven at the bottom. Yeah, I had it at four. Okay, so yeah, not an album any of us are particularly fond of, but Adam, you're a lot kinder to it than um, we are. So yeah, I mean, what what went wrong for me here is that. Um, it's lost the collaborative approach. This is Josh finding his way as a songwriter without those he had present. Nick Oliveri's gone. Uh, Mark Lanigan's mostly gone. Um, Dave Grohl's obviously gone. And um, yeah, just maybe stumbles a little bit on this record. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's good that you mentioned that because I was going to mention that. Obviously, hmm. Lanigan opens with this lullaby which is great and he does appear he's got a couple of backing vocals and he does one of the bonus tracks but I I was reading again reminded myself that he yeah they hadn't fallen out but he he kind of just I think he didn't want to tour with Queens anymore didn't really want to be part of it which is fair enough Mm -hmm. um so yeah it was it was Obviously, Troy was now fully on board. This was a, a Troy and Josh record, yeah. and Joey was the other main songwriter, but he was mm-hmm. under direction of Josh most of the time. So it is the first time where it's all Josh, really. Um, yeah. yeah, and I I do love this album. Um, I think it's the first time um, that I can really spot weak tracks. Um, there's some yeah. incredible tracks on it, but there are some weak tracks yeah. that yeah. I'm not, I would actually skip, um, if they came on shuffle, which is a, a shame to say, yeah. but yeah. there's a lot of, there's a, 
not filler. I just think it's they're not filler songs. They're just not great songs. Um, I was going to say I feel similarly to what I said about about the self titled one, really, yeah. where there are some that just they just don't shine quite as as much yeah. as Queens of the Stone Age can. Essentially, they're, they're, they're just they're just meandering. <laughs> so, I mean, um, yeah. Well, well, whilst we're in a, a negative space, um, I've got down that um, that. Um, this is just so much less fun than the last two, and yeah. um, that, it, that I think in a lot of places it feels quite patchy and uninspired. Yeah, it was. Um, I mean, it's. I, I really hate criticizing this album because I think generally there was again Josh Hom uh, approaches each album with an idea and a theme that he wants to cover, and obviously there's a very dark theme on this and like yes. you're saying it's less less fun it's a very dark album it's yeah like you think of like songs that someone's in the wolf it's supposed to be creepy like yeah. burn the witch as well it's supposed to be creepy it's supposed to be a little bit weird but i think that like you say i think it really actually affects the song quality i mm. think the songs aren't ne- necessarily there um and then and then it's kind of filled in with you've got like in my head um which was a desert Sessions song and yeah. I just don't think it fits in the album um, no. very well. Um, yeah. yeah. It feel, yeah. That one just, to me feels a bit like they needed another big single. And that's yeah. why it's there, essentially. So, so, um, so yeah, I've got down um, in my head as one of my worst parts is that um, I think like First It Giveth, which you two give a lot of praise to on Songs for the Deaf, um, Boring Chorus is a perfectly good song. I think yeah. um, like... Just the the repetitive nature of it, um, of of that chorus, just um, uh, what's uh, detracts from its effect, and mm. as a result, in my head, yeah, one one of the weaker moments on this record. I think I've got my as my ultimate worst song though. Um, just to sum up the meandering nature, I think a lot of this album has um, tangled up in plaids. Just goes nowhere for me. Okay. Oh well. Yeah. I, I really like that one. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I kind of. I kind of like that one. But yeah, talking about songs that don't really go anywhere. I never came for me. Uh, uh, is one of the most bland Queens of the Stone Age songs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got the same. See, I've got. Yeah. It's not one of my favourites, but I think um, the second half of this record is an improvement on the first for me. With the run from uh, Little Sister uh, through I Never Came to Someone in, Someone's in the Wolf. Okay. I think that's yeah. that, that that that's a decent free strong free song run on this record. Yeah, I re- I really like someone's in the wolf. I think that'd be my second best. Yeah. Uh, just got to feel like that's the first one of the only points on this album really where they'd find some teeth, as it were. Yes. <laughs> you know, there, yeah. there's, there's a there's a bit of actual kind of intensity to it, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. lacking in other places. Yeah. Um, I'd uh, back to tangled up in plaid as well, which I I feel like that one is one of the ones where they best actually achieve what they're going for with that kind of haunting uh take on what they've done before i feel like that achieves that quite well mm. um, yeah. other than, obviously this lullaby the intro <laughs> brilliant use of mark lanagan there mm. um and have, you, have either of you ever i can't remember if, i'm sure i would have asked you this before but the um over the garden wall animation uh series yeah. it sounds like it's come straight from the soundtrack of that which <laughs> i really love um but yeah, I, I, I do. I, I think I'm less critical of the fact that it is kind of less fun and dark because I do think it, it's kind of known that that's what they were trying to do. But yeah, absolutely agree with what you're saying, Adam. That it does 
no matter how deliberate it is, it, it does take away from the actual quality of it, which yeah is a shame. Yeah, yeah. but on the on the flip side, um, my favourite song um, is Broken Box, and actually, weirdly, it's where they do play around a little bit more. There, mm. there's the whole lighting of a cigarette at the beginning um, oh, yeah. and a zipper, and then they they've got this. Um, very droll, um, uh, where they go yay, and it's very <laughs> deliberately, it's very deliberately non-happy, but them saying yay, and they they're having fun with it, and there's loads of like background clips, um, which have obviously been taken from the studio. Going back to the song for the song for the death thing, they've taken like little snippets from the studio and just plugged them in and weaved them in very well, and that's why. And that's going back to everything we've said. That's what I love Queens of Stone Age for is them messing about a little bit and having a little bit of fun. And I think Broken Box is really good. Um, and yeah, that's why it's my favourite song on the album. Wow. Yeah. Okay. okay. I'll, go, I'll go throw back to uh, last episode here in that I feel like Kanye could have written the lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> that's my criticism of it. But otherwise, that's fair. Otherwise, it is a good fun one. Um, my favourite songs on this are... Um, I, I can't help loving Little Sister. Um, yeah. yeah, it's 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 a storm of a single and will always be forever associated with Will Ferrell on Saturday Night Live. More, <laughs> oh, yeah. more, more, more cowbell. Um, second favourite on this record is um, Burn a Witch. But um, yeah, just a really catchy song. Um, See, I th- I thought I re- I remembered enjoying Burn a Witch more than I actually do. Mm. I think it's too. I think it gets too repetitive for me. Okay, now. fair um, enough. But it's a great single, you yeah, know. It's, yeah. it's, it's, yeah. it's, it sticks in with you. Yeah, yeah. I my one problem with Burn the Witch, and uh, obviously they didn't have a bassist on board, is Josh Homme's bass playing on some of the songs. So he does the bass on Burn the Witch, and I actually find, again, like going back. Oh, and I quite like to that it, bass th- line. Yeah, so I, don't, I don't like it. There's, yeah, there's something about it and um, that I don't like. And I think it's just I don't like Josh Homme's bass playing. Um, <laughs> so it just might be a thing that's lodged in my head. Um, yeah, but it's, it's a good song. It's just that bass line for me just gets me a little bit. Fair. Yeah, I think, I think that like, the whole lineup thing and the, it's, there's a lot of similarities in my head to to the first album as well because I think the whole lineup thing does come into it a lot. I, I feel like in later albums we really get a more of a taste of what joey can do as a drummer than we do on this album you know i don't f- i feel like this album 100%. really could be anyone um and he's such a phenomenal drummer and that just doesn't I, I, get used here really 100 percent agree i think um going back to why era vulgaris is probably higher up on my list than yours and i literally wrote that in my notes i think joey came on board and josh Holm was like do this yeah um <laughs> and he didn't get to do his own thing and he's not He's a punk drummer. He's like a hard, like he plays for the Bronx now, which is a perfect example. Another one of my favorite bands of all time. And he's way better at being a punk drummer than doing weird, creepy Queens of the Stone Age stuff. Well, as, as is illustrated by the fact that I'm sure I remember seeing them live a couple of times with him drumming at festival sets and things and him starting songs about double speed <laughs> from where they're meant to be. And you see the rest of the band just suddenly looking at him, just going like, fuck, please, mate, no. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, no, we'd, um, we'll definitely get later on to um, Queens of Stone Age's uh, great luck with drummers, let's say. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yes, anything else there on the Love to Paralyze? I think I'm done. Uh, just my worst track. Again, I, I, it was quite a, 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 just a quick kind of choice for worst track, but it could have been a few based on what we were saying about some that just don't quite 
do much but i feel like that's summarized with long slow goodbye which you know my notes for that track are just well indeed <laughs> you know it's yeah. <laughs> yeah it's just kind of another another kind of fairly slow meandering one that doesn't go anywhere yeah. for me it's about nick isn't it yeah yeah um anything else from you there adam no no Cool. Um, yeah, okay. I, I actually feel I actually feel like I've been too harsh on the album now, but yeah, <laughs> I'm I mean, done. I, I do think it suffers, you know, it's su- as it has in this conversation, I suppose, really, but it suffers Being coming immediately after Songs for the Death. Yeah, yeah, which you know, and how are you ever? Yeah, how are you ever going to live up to those? Yeah, that run. Yeah, essentially, absolutely. absolutely. Okay, cool. Well, that's it for the first half of this podcast. Thank you ever so much for joining us. And um, yeah, we'll be back with um, Ira Vulgaris, Chris's favourite. Um, <laughs> uh, like Clockwork and Villains, Adam's least favourite. So join us on the other side of the jingle for some interesting chat, plus our Niche of the Better Top 5 on the Top 5 Songs by Guests on Adam's Audience Please podcast. See you then. Mm-hmm.